welcome back to Dr. Me First. It's me, queen of burnout, mother of dragons, colleague in medicine, coach in life, Dr. freaking Aaron Wiseman. And I have a great interview to share from a fellow Dio woman. I'm talking today with Dr. Erica Aragona. She is an amazing family medicine physician, which you know that makes my heart ring on fire. She focuses on preventative medicine and women's health. In addition to practicing full-time, she also is adjunct faculty at the Idaho College of Osteopathic Medicine. Whoop, whoop. She teaches women's health and clinical skills. She also has a Bachelor's of Art in English, published a book, and a lot of journals. She's an overall badass. She's also an expert physician consultant. I don't know if you remember the stuff that went down with figs and DO women physicians. Well, she got to speak up about it. And her passion is to make medicine cheerful and happy. I'll share all the links about her website and where she hangs out and all of those kind of things because she loves to be a social media presence and to be an engaging physician who is making medicine fun and relatable and giving out accurate facts online. Our talk today is talking about female empowerment. She drops a lot of truth bombs, and I'm just so excited to get into this interview today. All right, here we go. Welcome to the podcast, my fellow friend and Dio woman, Dr. Erica Aragona. It's so nice to have you here with me today. Hello. I'm super excited to talk with you, honestly. Ever since meeting you the first time, I've been jazzed for this. So thanks for having me. Hells yes. And we met at the ACE conference this past, it was in the April, beginning of May, that the amazing Dina George and the rest of her team put on in San Antonio. And for you guys, if you're tired of hearing me talk about it, it was the bomb. Amazing. Best speakers, great location, just all around phenomenal time. And yeah, we got to talking to each other and you came up to me and you're like, oh my God, too. And we were like, had our little Dio moment, you know, the little secret handshake that we all have and, and went from there. But before I get too ahead of myself, tell the people out in podcasting world a little bit about yourself and the magic you're putting out into the world. Yeah, totally. So I'm a board certified family medicine doctor. I went to the founding school of osteopathic medicine, AT Still in Missouri, tiny, tiny school. And then I was like, you know what? I need something bigger. So I did my training in Detroit and loved it. Then I had my first child and was like, whoa, this is like way, way harder than I thought it was. And I shifted what I wanted to do into women's health. And I moved back to Idaho where I'm from to be near family and now have a small kind of not rural, but smaller town practice. And I do 90% women's health and OB care. So I love focusing on female empowerment and women's health needs and making healthcare accessible for the female perspective, because I saw firsthand for myself as a mom and going through it all, how much we don't learn in med school. We don't learn it. You know what I mean? And that's what's frustrating is we, we learn the book material and that's it. And we don't learn how hard it is to be pregnant or to breastfeed or to be postpartum and still have another job on top of it. So I wanted to use my medical knowledge and then also bring in my own experience as a woman to help my female patients. And it drastically changed the way I practice medicine. I became 
happier in my career. I felt fulfilled. Like I was finally doing what I loved and was passionate about and what I was meant to do. So I created a website. uh, It's drerica.com. And I interview women who are making a difference in society predominantly in the healthcare field, but from all realms. So I have entrepreneurs who have started nonprofit organizations for female trafficking. I have um, entrepreneurs who have started companies specifically raising awareness for anyone involved in types of trauma, mass shootings, or other severely post-traumatic stress type of events. And I highlight what they're doing and try to raise awareness that these are women in their early 20s through their 70s that I have interviewed who are making such a difference in this world. And all we need to do is elevate their voices because when we focus on that positivity, it just makes everybody better. And that's what I'm trying to bring to the scene is positivity in medicine, cheerfulness in medicine, but also raising the voices of women who need to be celebrated because they're freaking awesome. Yeah. It's like the other day I saw a list that was like the most influential writers of all time. And like 90% of them were men. And it's like, hey, oh, we're 50% of the population. I think we should be 50% of the list because just the underrepresentation. And I love that that's what you're doing with your platform is, you know, empowered women, empower women. And telling the stories that need to be heard because there's so many times if other women could just know somebody else has done this before them, it makes it one, less scary, and two, knowing it's absolutely doable. Yeah. And I think that's what you know I needed to hear too. I mean, again, going back to medical school, I learned the basics and I learned a lot of it from a male perspective. You're going to learn the body system as according to male anatomy. And when we got to the female reproductive tract, it was almost truncated in a way. And I felt like, why are we spending so much time on other areas? And then when it's women's health, it's just kind of really quickly bypassed or hormonal care and treatment. You know, it at ACE, I had the privilege of sitting next to Kelly Casperson and one-on-one with her. And I'm obsessed with her. And I've implemented so much of her teaching. She's a female urologist who brings so much to the table about female body positivity and health that makes sense from a woman's mindset, from a woman doctor. And that's what I wanted to do too. And I think that we need a voice now more than ever with Roe v. Wade getting overturned and so many women coming to us and asking, you know, what do we do next? I think they need to hear it from a female and we need to start changing the tides and standing up. We have just as strong of a voice. We have just as much education. If anything, we've had to push past those barriers harder to get where we are. I mean, if you think about it, women in medicine were, gosh, we didn't even have a 10% hold in medicine until the seventies before that we were in single digits for percentages of women making up medical school students. And now there are more female medical students than male medical students. And it's incredible and we need to run with it. And I'm all for, you know, equality and male perspective as well. But when you see the shift and you see the needs of of women not being met, that's when I decided to stand up. Yeah, absolutely. And let's go specifically to our trainees and to our female physicians, since that's the majority of the people who are listening. Even though women make up the majority in medical school classes, there's still that bias out there. And I heard it when I was on my surgical rotation as a resident, which was uh, just over 10 years ago, where it was like, yeah, we need to stop giving seats to women because all they do is graduate med school and have a baby and then go part-time. Yep. It's awful. 
it's absolutely awful that it's it's still this bias because then that planted the seed in my own mind of like, oh shit, if I'm a part-time doctor, then I'm not a good doctor. Absolutely. And it's not just, am I, am I not a good doctor, but am I not a good partner? You get all of that responsibility and that pressure from your colleagues of if you're not taking as much call or if you're cutting back on hours. And I think in reality, what we have to focus on is twofold. One, there's nothing wrong with doing that. There's nothing wrong with cutting back. You know, the burnout rate right now that we're experiencing and the number of doctors surveyed talking about how exhausted they are from overworked or lack of support or insufficient staffing is tremendous. So I don't think it's a bad thing to stand up at all and say, I need support. I need to take back and cut back so that I'm refreshed and I can be the best doctor at a 0.9 or 0.8 instead of giving half of it at a full-time position because I'm exhausted. And number two is I think we need to embrace the fact that not all women have that bias of getting pregnant, taking maternity leave, needing time off, or the stigma of they have to take care of the kids at home, but they're trying to work. Like we need to eliminate that as a discussion. It infuriates me that I saw so many female residents waiting to get married, waiting to have children because they didn't think they could during residency because of time constrictions. And that's completely the opposite. I mean, I saw surgical residents killing it, doing incredibly difficult cases while pumping in the call room and going straight back. You know, one of my very good friends is a general surgeon here and she had both of her children as an attending and she got straight back to work because that's what she wanted to do, not because she was pressured to do it and she was happy. So I think we need to normalize both segments of it so that women don't feel that they have to pick and choose and either way they're letting people down, right? Because there's a negative connotation on both sides. Men don't get that. Men can be fathers and not worry about who's going to take care of the kids in general in medicine. And these are generalizations. I, again, I don't want to go off to this huge negative level. There's a lot of wonderful male physicians out there who have blended being a working parent and being a stay-at-home parent and shifting that dynamic beautifully. But what we need to do is change the conversation. So when we're educating students, medical students, who have the fear of not getting into the vascular surgery program that they wanted because there are very few females in that field and they've been told they won't get it. And then they've been told you have to delay parenthood. That is the perfect time that we can shift the dynamic and say, yes, you can. And here are explanations. Here are examples. Here are women who have done that. And there are women who have chosen not to. And there are women who chose to, and they're both happy and they're both successful. It doesn't have to be one or the other. Well, and really showing too that like you get to choose, you get to decide what your needs and wants are, because I know that was an extremely confusing time for for me in my personal life. It was like major confliction and there really wasn't that person I could go to. I mean, I went to a lot of people because I was just trying to figure it out. And I had an, one of the um, medical school advisors just told me like, you just need to figure out what type of mother you're going to be, if you're going to be involved or if you're going to be a professional. And it just made such a confusing picture that I'm so glad that you are exemplifying this, that you're talking with your students about it as well. Because like you said, it's starting the conversation and reminding them Medicine doesn't get to be your mistress. It is your job and you will be very good at it. But at the end of the day, medicine doesn't show up at your funeral. Medicine doesn't, you know, fulfill you on your own. It's not your job's job to make you happy, quoting Dr. Kara Pepper. Like you get to decide that and you get to figure out your wants and needs. And if we can teach every single medical student that 
we will shift the culture of medicine because they will come out, like you said, empowered to say, this is what I want and this is what I need. And when I show up at work, I am a hundred fucking 10%. And when I go home, I'm a hundred fucking 10% of what I want and need. That, that, and I think that's the ticket is when you go home. Are you professionally excelling and you're killing it? And everybody's like, this is the best doctor ever. Okay. That's one thing. But if you go home and you're just exhausted and you have nothing left for yourself or your family, how successful are you? So, you know, I, I talk a ton about happiness in the workplace and it's been really hard to see lately how many physicians are planning on leaving medicine for a variety of reasons. Obviously the pandemic really set a lot of that into motion. The AMA just in January uh, released something that said about one in five doctors plan to leave their current position within two years, not necessarily retiring, but just to leave. And that one in three planned in reducing their hours. And then CHU Healthcare actually came out with a survey. They surveyed over 500 U.S. doctors from the start of the pandemic through April of 2022. And if they said that they were unhappy, they asked them what it was from. 42%, 42% cited poor leadership response. 34%, get this, said they had lack of employer support. And then 27%, and this is what we kind of expected, was the insufficient staffing levels that caused them to feel so exhausted and unhappy in the workplace. So it starts internally. It's not just you as a doctor and the kind of difficult expectations that we put on ourselves to excel and the stress we have of not letting a patient down. I mean, I can't think of a higher state position than one where you are directly in charge of keeping someone alive or not, right? Even in outpatient care, how many lives we've directed where we directly were the one to keep someone alive or not. That's a huge deal. But then you look at all of the external factors from administration and hospital systems and being overworked and not having adequate staffing or not feeling like your contributions and your suggestions are heard. And when you have a number of physicians saying, I'm going to be leaving early, you know, the shortage that they expect in just a couple of decades is tremendous and it's scary. So how do we fix it? Right. We can talk about the problem all day, but how do we fix it? It's happiness. And it's so simple to make employees feel respected or heard, but it doesn't happen. It comes down to the pizza party or the throw in the towel and give them a star on their badge. And that's not what we want. We want to feel like we're invested and that we're heard. And, you know, there's statistical evidence that proves that this matters. And that's what I want all of these healthcare companies and organizations to understand is it's not us just complaining and being tired. There's proof that happy employees are more successful. And when you have a happy employee, what do you have? You have a more successful system. You have more compliant patients. You have better outcomes because your patients are now listening to a doctor they love, they trust, they feel supported because that doctor had the energy to come in and say, tell me about your day. Tell me about your family. Tell me about the concert you went to. They feel heard. They feel validated. Now they're going to listen to that doctor more intently. They're going to follow their suggestions more compliantly. They're going to have better healthcare outcomes instead of missing medicines or not following up on appointments. So you have a system that benefits. And when you have a happy doctor, you have a happy population. Yeah. And I think the important thing is too, with that, when I talk to corporations is I even say a happy doctor is a productive doctor yeah. because we know they're all looking at the fucking numbers. And I want to say, even if you do have a female physician like myself, that is like 0. 0.5, 0. 0.6, you can look at my numbers and know I'm fucking killing it. And I love it. 
every single day. We're talking on my day off. It's a Tuesday. But you know what? I will be so energized to go into the office tomorrow that, yeah, I can work in a couple cute sick patients. I can call the ER and give them a report for somebody that I'm sending over. And I can do it with a smile on my face rather than like drudging through the day. And I think you're 100% hitting the nail on the head. So many doctors, they don't need more kudos. They don't need more pats on the back. They don't need a $5 coupon to the car wash. They just want to be heard. They just want someone to say, that's a great idea. Let's implement it. And they want to see action with it as well. And and I think it goes back to too, like part of having that happiness is having the other H word, which is hope. Hope that there is change coming. Hope that that even though it may be a rough time too, that you know there are better days down the road. And I think you only get that when you do, like on the Stanford model of wellness, you know, only one third is personal resiliency. The other two thirds is the culture of wellness and the systems for which you function in. And if you're just keeping your own hope with like within yourself and your own little bubble, like you're not holding a majority of the power. But when you have investment into your company because they are reciprocating that respect and that autonomy and saying, yes, this is what the number crunchers say, but we hear you. We will let you control your schedule for the next 90 days so that we can see what the numbers are. And you get to prove to them like, holy shit, Dr. Wiseman was right. Dr. Aragona was right. You know, that's how you empower people. Yeah. And I think we need to just start by opening the conversation because Exactly what you said so well is if we just ask, we're not getting our needs met, but we complain or we say, you know, we're not satisfied, nothing gets done. But when we actively communicate our needs and why it makes sense and why we're productive and show those numbers, it really does a 180. And, you know, Forbes actually, it's older, but in 2018, they uh, quoted Warwick University and they said that companies like Google that invested in employee happiness had satisfaction rise almost 40%. That's huge. What does satisfaction turn into? Well, happiness, right? They're satisfied. They feel fulfilled. And University of Oxford Business School actually in 2019 found that happy workers increase their productivity by almost 15%. And I would beg to say way more than that, way more than that. But as you talked about, you're, you're energized for tomorrow, right? You're ready to go in there so you can grab an extra couple of cases because you have that emotional prowess now to do it. You're not exhausted. You're not charting late. You're not trying to keep up and never feeling like you've just broken even. You're above that. You're fulfilled. You're satisfied. You're rested. And you're going to make fewer errors too because now you're emotionally invested in your patients. You're hearing their entire story. I mean, how many times have we read a case where... The whole thing seems like textbook. And then a patient says, well, you know, I actually just got off a flight yesterday. And you're like, oh, never mind. That changes the whole diagnosis. But if you didn't ask them what they were doing, if you didn't get that history, if you rushed through the case, if you missed something, that could mean a patient's life. So when we talk about physician satisfaction, it is impacting the lives of everyone around them, all of their patients. This is a big deal. So I love to talk to students about that because, you know, we're seeing this mass exodus of healthcare workers because of the pandemic and other factors lately where they're just exhausted. And students will ask me, how are you so positive? Like, aren't you just like tired? I've had almost every single one of my staff turnover in the past year. 
And we've been answering our own phones, rooming our own patients, cleaning our own rooms. And then we're behind and patients get angry. And then the mental health in this country has dramatically declined. So we're now dealing with people who are very upset going into the visit, let alone waiting and feeling like they had to jump through all these hoops to get there without a smooth transition. So you're making up for all of that. And I tell them exactly what you said. I take time off for myself because if I didn't, I would be just like these patients. I would be exasperated. I wouldn't have what I needed to take care of them. You have to start with you. You have to. Take me to church. That's exactly, (laughs) exactly. You got to, you know, the most important pulse in the room is yours. So like, take care of it. Take care of it so that you can then reciprocate that because you cannot pour from an empty cup. Well, I know there's so many people who are out there just like absorbing all of this. For those doctors, for those residents, for those students who are listening today, what is it that you would just encourage them to do so that they can come from an empowered place? Yeah. Start now. Find your passion and don't let go of it in school. I sit on the admissions for uh, our local medical school. And I interview students who are just like, oh, you know, I have this resume that's 500 pages long and it's very impressive. And I just ask them, what do you do for fun? And a lot of them pause and think that they can't answer. It has to be like research or it has to be shadowing in medicine. And I'm like, no, what do you do for fun? Because you're going to have to hold on to that. And when they have a great answer of volunteering, and I I learned about a a woman who started a volunteer program in India for girls to play basketball because in the region where she was, they weren't allowed to play sports. And she personally went over there and started a program and encouraged young women to have the confidence to work as a team and feel like they could do something they were told no to before. What? Like, how cool is that? And she just lit up. And I was like, why aren't you leading with that? Like, I'm so proud of all your accomplishments and accolades, but that's the money. And she's like, you're right. That's what I want to do my whole life. I want to go into women's health. I want to make a difference. I'm like, don't lose sight of that because you have to have that fire, that passion, that excitement to execute well the rest of your life. Don't ever stop. Don't get bogged down with studying. So I I tell students that find what makes you happy and keep doing it and build your army. Find other doctors, other students around you who share the same passions. So when you get out, you don't feel isolated. You don't feel like you've lost a sense of camaraderie after residency and you're all on your own. Find online groups, find the people who support you, find your tribe so that you can build it together. I love it. That's what I was just thinking. I was like, we are saying the same things. You just say it so much more eloquently, but mine is fly your freak flag, like fly it high, (laughs) keep it going, keep your weird and find your tribe and love them hard. There's nothing more that will get you crispy and burnout than isolation. Like yeah. you need your people. And even if it's a WhatsApp text thread that you keep going, you have to do it. Or I have a best friend that we send each other dog posts on Instagram back and forth, you know, through the week. So <laughs> because there's nothing better than a puppy, you know, do it. Do those crazy weird things that you're like, oh my God, what is this? Just because it makes your heart sing. Because what are we put on this earth for? We're not put here to go to med school, pay bills, and die. We are here to live. And if that is how you live, friend, then live it hard. Yeah. Well, you know, everyone listening, you can't see me, but I'm wearing Aaron's shirt. I am extremely proud to wear this throughout my office and encourage as many students who see me wear it why I'm wearing it. It's the 
badass woman in me honors the badass woman in you. And Erin, honestly, I honor you for that because you're making a difference with your voice and you're standing up. And it's so simple for the rest of us to follow when we see an excellent leader. And that's what we need to do. So I proudly wear this shirt and I encourage everyone else to do the same. Find the people that you resonate with and celebrate them because when they shine, you do too. Absolutely. Well, Dr. Erica, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And thank you so much for first coming and introducing yourself to me at the ACE conference. I am just so excited to call you friend and colleague and the badass woman in me honors the badass woman in you. Thank you, Erin. You're awesome. Yeah. And share your platforms real quick. We'll put them in the show notes, but where do you hang out the most? So if people want to connect with you. (laughs) I had never expected I'd say this, but I'm most active on TikTok right now. So I'm Dr. Erica. I'm there on all my platforms. And then the best way to reach me is either to send me a message on Instagram or just to check out my website because you can email me, me directly through my website. Love it. See you soon, friend. Bye. Thanks again. I've heard it takes a village to raise a child. But you know what else? After raising that child, and once that kid has grown up, it takes a community to care for them. Communities are what keeps us sane. They help us heal our trauma. They dance with us when we're winning. Without my online communities, I would have never made it through burnout. And I certainly would have gotten through the shitstorm of this pandemic either. If you too need community, I want to invite you over to my badass Slack group. That's right, I'm not going to be on Facebook, but I do love me some Slack. It's a place where you'll find that you're not the only one. You're not alone. You'll get total validation on what's going on with you. There's a pool of resources. Community is active and rating to welcome you in. We are all helpers who have needs. And sometimes we need to have a community that can surround us, protect us, give us a hug, and lift us up. And that's what the badass Slack community is. So come join me today. Link is in the show notes. Dr. Erica, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I am so, so glad that we are now in each other's fears. I would tell anybody who's listening, if you are feeling disempowered, you don't need to stay there. There are amazing women. Reach out to Dr. Erica. Reach out to me. Reach out to anybody that seems to be a light and inspiring to you and let them rub off on you. Because medicine doesn't need to be a dark place. It doesn't need to be a place of burnout. You can have a career and love your life as well. I promise, friend. If you need more community around you, make sure you jump into the Aaron Wiseman Badass Slack group because those are the exact things we talking about. All right, friend. Well, remember, your life, your calling, your pulse matters. See ya. Check.